This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our nine-part series on the body, Constructing a New You. So tonight's topic is on spiritual practice and meditation, a little bit different, but we believe that if we take care of this house, we can take care of others in a loving way. So as the Constructionist, we desire for you to be able to navigate your life through a framework of worldview that is loving and relevant to at relevant and loving to people. So and part of this is getting our own house in order. Part of it is loving ourselves so that we can love others and figuring that out. So I want to encourage you to listen first to not tonight, but when you get a chance, listen to the TED.com video the benefits of not being a jerk to yourself that will be in the comments here in a bit so the benefits of not being a jerk to yourself by dan harris so in previous podcasts we've made mention that when we deconstruct old ideas and former toxic practices sometimes we don't move into new ways of thinking understanding and practice so it's very easy to become like what we often reject. So the old adage, I want to be so different that I than I am, I end up exactly the same. So we need a new framework. We need a new vision forward to carry us forward, breaking down old habits and toxic behaviors. We need to construct a new you and a new vision to carry us into a new future. So this is our thinking space. We are non-judgmental here. So we accept all thoughts and, of course, opinions. And you can chat with us in the comments section of this broadcast. And we will listen in real time tonight and also throughout the week that we will listen to you um, and hear your questions and answer them the best that we know how. We're not claiming to be doctors. We're not claiming to be really any kind of practitioners except just people who desire to have a conversation. So we desire to explain practical ideas and thoughts and maybe a little bit of theology to live by that we can develop that framework. So this is an eight-part series. And if you missed uh, last week, uh, this eight-part series moving forward, or if you missed any of the other previous podcasts, you could go back and you can listen on our YouTube channel or search through the Facebook feed and you can find us somewhere. But you can you can engage in this eight nine part, excuse me, nine part series because we had a mini two part that I explain here in just a minute. So our first one was goal setting, our second habits and toxic behaviors. Number three was self concept and beauty. And then we had a two-part mini-series on fitness and nutrition. The second part included an interview with Stacy Cannon. And so if you want to get connected with that especially or with Stacy Cannon, we want you to on cipher.life. You can connect into her website and communicate to her about her coaching. That was a very interesting podcast last week. Um, tonight is spiritual practice and meditation and then healthy relationships and then mental health 
and also then finally rest. So if you want to support us, of course, we want you to follow uh, along. We want you to chat with us, ask questions, and uh, on any social media channel that you desire to listen to, go ahead and just give also your insight to us. We want to hear your thoughts as well and your uh, your intelligence and your productive thoughts. And if you really find this valuable, we want you to give to us financially. So go to resonatelife.org to the give tab and you can find out ways to give in meaningful financial ways. So tonight we are in an interactive discussion on spiritual practice and meditation. And I'm going to take just a short introduction, take a time for a short introduction, and then we're going to go right into the uh, the history of spiritual practice, and then the theology of spiritual practice, and then the application or the practicality um, and some tools of spiritual practice that you can put and implement in your life and use the same word, learn to practice. So spiritual practices have been at the heart and soul of many and if not all uh, the world religions. And so whether it be one that you've heard of, like a monotheistic faith, like um, Judaism or Islam or Christianity, or the Vedic faiths, such as Buddhism or Hinduism and such things or such religions like that, that spiritual practice has been at the heart and the soul of such things. So, and such religions, it is not a foreign subject. It's not an obscure subject. It's actually more obscure for the Christian to talk about spiritual practices and mysticism and spiritual mysticism and such. And really in general, the spirit, it's more obscure for us as Christians to talk about that than many other religions in the world. Many religions, it's a part of their fabric. It's a part of what they do on a daily basis, if not several times a day, daily basis. And so spiritual practice, I believe, helps us discover who we are as individuals. It discovers, it helps us discover God. It helps us discover self. It helps us discover others. It taps us into our deepest values. It addresses our longing to connect with God, if you have a longing to connect with the divine. And it propels us towards, I believe, a sense of wholeness. And a wholeness for everyone is different, but mind, body, and soul wholeness, I believe that a spiritual practice can help us connect and put together the, well, let's just call them puzzle pieces of wholeness of the complete self. So spiritual practices and what we're talking about tonight as the body and how it affects the body, they're actually physical things that you do. They're physical activities that you participate in. And a physical activity can be silence. It can be prayer. It can be meditation it can be sitting in some type of pose reading a prose or a poem whatever it is that you are doing for spiritual practice of course sure is going to unpack all of that for us um, in the application section but these are activities that you do to deepen your connection with yourself with god and with others they help us connect with what we would call the sacred now some people believe such things as what's behind me, if I can point right here. Some people believe that such things like this 
or pictures, icons, as you can see, some are behind me, or symbols, charms, bracelets, <laughs> pictures. Much of these things are considered divinity or divine or sacred. And really, sacredity has to do with what is either obviously divine or told to be divine. So you can tell something that it is sacred. And so it connects us in deepening our relationship with what we deem as sacred. Also to the world around you. I believe that these practices help us connect with also the invisible sacred. So if we have a view of God, that is what I would say, an invisible God, that is not a visible being that connects you with an invisible God. I believe it helps us connect with our true self. And maybe we don't know our true self. And that is something that a spiritual practice can help us to develop. Let's say you've gone through trauma, like some of us have, and you've been had a disconnected, I guess, attachment style or disoriented or um, um, I can't remember the word right now. Uh, 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 let's just call it a scattered, a scattered attachment style. There has been no attachment in your childhood, that kind of trauma through spiritual practice. I believe in a sense of healing that we can bring a whole self, a true self into our being. So it also though, helps us tap into our memory, helps us tap into our history, helps us tap into our experiences. And I guess it encourages us in a sense to relate to the world in a very different way. So if you're struggling in your world today, your culture, your society, and how you relate to society, I believe that spiritual practice can help us connect. So there is an author by the name of Avram Davis. And Avram uh, wrote a piece on that is called, We Are What We Practice. We are what we practice. And with, if we're angry a lot, we're practicing anger. And so his theory is that if we practice emotion enough, like anger or frustration or sadness, if we practice those enough, then we begin to embody that emotion even more. Now there's such things as depression that is clinical depression. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just practicing a sense of emotion. You can also practice and embody joy. You can practice love. You can practice affection. You can practice all kinds of positive emotions. And Avram Davis would say, we are what we practice. So practicing the sense of spirituality or spiritual practice helps us embody spirituality. It helps us become spiritually aware, our spirit inside the spirit in others and in other things. So these activities are not meaningless. I don't believe that spiritual practices are meaningless at all. They are very powerful. They produce outcomes. They influence our lives. Practices are very concrete and practical, so your physical body is engaged in them. But we have to remember, practice does not make perfect. So when you practice something, it doesn't make you a perfect person. Practice is a process. 
It helps us to grow. It helps us to increase and changes over time can happen in your life. So when you commit to a practice over a certain number of years or a certain number of days, it can actually work towards transformation. So here's some basic human practices that we can think about for a minute. Um, the essence of spiritual practices are the mind attention. So instead of a device, like always distracting us, that we give attention to self or attention to others. Um, acknowledgement of beauty, acknowledgement of emotion, acknowledgement of somebody's presence or their words, being present for others, compassion, connection, devotion, enthusiasm, forgiveness, grace, gratitude, hope, hospitality, imagination, joy, justice, kindness, listening, loving, giving meaning to something that wasn't before, nurturing, openness, peacemaking, playfulness, questioning, questing, reverence, silence, teaching, transformation, wonder, having a vision, accepting the mystery of the unknown of life, yearning and zeal are all essential. And in the essence, that is who we are. That is what we are as people. That is the human mind. That is the human spirit. So you are a spirit. You are spiritual. And when we practice such things, we can have a better expression of the whole list that I just gave you. And so it it's really is tuning into the true self. So as we think in down this journey, down this trail, I want first to turn over the mic to Jake to talk about the history of spiritual practice. Because as I said, this is a part of the fabric of almost every world religion that is out there spiritual practice is a part of who they are. And so there has to be a history behind this that's just not, hey, the constructionist made it up for this podcast. There has to be a history to this that is more robust. And Jake, go ahead and explain that to us. I think I, one, go ahead. You can go first or I'll go second. First. You have some thoughts for you first? To, yeah, to make things a little bit more um, practical and less abstract, um, I want to name a couple spiritual disciplines so that like people have an idea of what we're talking about. Um, so like Please. prayer practices are spiritual disciplines, um, meditation, uh, fasting, simplicity, um, worship, hospitality, celebration. All of these things are things that we can practice as part of the spiritual life. So I just Great. want to give us some, some things to be thinking about while we're going through the history of the theology. Thanks for taking Thank me out of the clouds. <laughs> and some, something important that you, that you hit on, but I think needs to be hit a little harder is that we're not, <clears throat> we're not uh, bifurcating the spiritual and the physical that spiritual is physical and physical is spiritual. And so uh, when you hear us talk about spiritual disciplines, they had to be rooted in body or they won't be effectual on yourself. Good. Anything else need to be said? Good. I like it. Uh, honoring the body is considered a Christian spiritual practice. 
Yeah. So something new I learned when I was studying for this time is that Neanderthals or Neanderthals, whatever you want to say, um, they actually had a form of religious practice. And Neanderthals um, went extinct 40,000 years ago uh, when the, the rise of Homo sapiens. And so way back when, when we were still cave dwellers, just hunter-gatherers, um, religious practice was present. And that was found in how they viewed the afterlife. The Neanderthals believed in the afterlife. They would give, um, they would pack their graves full of foods and other items and weapons and other things so that whoever was making that journey had um, resources. And we see the same thing in Egyptian practices. And so um, it is obviously passed down from Neanderthal all the way down to the Egyptian mummies and continuing on even past that, that people are buried with. You can't, you can't take it with you, that whole saying, because it was practiced to bury people with, with items and with wealth. That was a very new thing for me that I, I have never learned before this time. And the Neanderthals had it so, like this. So new uh, research has shown that Neanderthals and Homo sapiens actually coexisted. So yeah. they probably potentially passed it depending on. Depending on like relational intelligence there, potentially paid it forward. Mm. Yeah. And so this article was released in 2016. Um, but yeah, I think that was only like a year ago, maybe, that they found evidence that Neanderthals and Homo sapiens existed in France together, mm -hmm. south of France. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and especially in the cave pictures, the pictographs, um, which is huge when you think about the introduction of new species. Um, and then we move on to Homo sapiens. And the oldest, the oldest model that we have of structured religion is this temple that Rob's going to show. It's called Gobeke, Gobeke Tepe. And it's in southeast Turkey. And so this is a 20-acre plot. So I know it looks small, but think of this as this is actually quite massive. Um, and it stretches on for quite a while. But the this temple is at least 12,000 years old, older than any other religion, any other temple that we have out there. This is the oldest one, Southeast Turkey. Um, it's right where the earthquake hit. So I'm a little bit concerned about what actually is still standing today of this i know a lot in turkey especially the really the ancient uh architecture because that area in turkey is full of ancient architecture um so they the lot was taken down during the earthquake which is super sad and i know um that is not the most important thing by far um as the death toll keeps rising but think about this this is a 20 acre plot twelve thousand years older than all the pyramids, older than any other temple that we have on earth, older than Machu Picchu, older than the, uh, the Mayan or Aztecian, um, stupas, Incan, older than the Incan, yeah. uh, Incan would be Machu Picchu, right? Uh, Maya, well, Aztec. Incan is, is the first stones of Machu Picchu. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have, 
this is the oldest site we have. We don't really know what is practiced here except for almost this spirituality, um, spirit, spirit worship, death. Uh, it, around it is actually a ton of burial grounds. And so they thought that this was tied to, as Neanderthals were doing, this practice of burying people to the afterlife. So you can take it down now, Rob. Spiritual practices are are just as old as humanity exists, even as we know it. Every culture has their own deity, every single one. Every culture worships deity and their specific deity, almost nuanced the exact same way. If you think about our forms of worship, our forms of spiritual disciplines, it's sacrifice. Sometimes it was humans, sometimes it was animals. Christianity was supposed to be ourselves and possessions, which Sheree is going to get to even later. Um, fasting. I think you see fasting a lot in the Vedic faiths, like Hinduism. Um, we also fast. Praying, I think, is a very old, old form of mental ascent in every single religion on earth that we have. Uh, meditation. Every religion practices meditation. I remember when mindfulness meditation was first coming out and there's a huge Christian pushback against it that you can't, you can't uh, meditate cause it's going to, you'll fall into Buddhism. Um, but all religions, even Christianity and Judaism all focus on meditation of some sorts. Um, the first written account of meditation, especially the mindfulness practice that we practice often now for mental health that we'll probably get into pretty heavily in our mental health episode of this time mm -hmm. is written down in 1200 BCE and it's, and it's the Hindus practicing, uh, a, a mindfulness release in meditation. Songs. Can I just give a thought there. Yeah, please. So I think that Christians pushed back hard, especially in the eighties and the 90s like the early 90s against meditation 90s. yeah it would it would probably be 80s and early 90s like let's say all the way from probably pushed against it but it wasn't reintroduced i don't think until i want to say richard foster's uh book on uh, spiritual disciplines did not he did not necessarily talk about meditation no. in its of itself, but there was a fear yeah. to even use the word meditation because of what the 1960s and transcendental meditation, yeah. TM, what people that were kind of, well, what the hippie culture, that's the only thing I know how to, what to call it, um, did with TM. So that was like tapping into Hinduism or a Vedic type practice that they couldn't handle. And so reintroducing yeah. meditation has been pushed around, I think. That's great. Right. Well, and I can talk about what Foster had to say um, because his claim was that um, Buddhist meditation is more to empty the mind, whereas Christian meditation is to fill the mind with scripture. So that was the distinction that he made. Yeah. And that would, has to be in defense of TM. 
or against yes. TM, just the whole, yeah. just the era of Richard Foster. Yeah, definitely. And, and I hope that he's actually changed his, his mind on that one. Cause that's not totally hundred percent accurate. And is uh, he even yeah. alive anymore? Oh yeah. I think he's only like I think so. 60. Oh yeah. Okay. We'll I think so. Anyways, um, songs and singing. <laughs> I I remember the first time I was in a, a, a Muslim country and the I got a hostel right next to one of the major speakers in, in Jakarta. And mm. the the morning chant that mm. sprung me out of bed, I hit the ceiling <laughs> and just I have never experienced anything like that. The singing, the chant, the the corporate worship of that. Uh, the Buddhist chanting when you go to was that, to Buddhist... was that Muslim, the Muslim morning prayer, or was that Christian? Yeah, that was Muslim. Yeah. Okay. Um, that was in Jakarta, but like you think about like the uh, the Buddhist chanting, that is also a form of song. Christians, monks mm. chanting, our form of worship, singing. Um, the Psalms that we have, those are Judaism's form of singing as well. So most most religions have their own form of song um so to give a history of spiritual practices we have to go back possibly even to the days of neanderthals a long long time ago that the the basics of human life truly are hunting and gathering satiation of food and water shelter and worshiping something that's outside of themselves I would go so far as to say that every every religion is worshiping God. The Christian in me would say that their version of God has not revealed fully God's self to that worshiper. It's then our job as Christians to bridge an entire span of human history and love well. A, a brief history of Christian spirituality, which I think Kevin will get into more with the theology piece, is is they, they, they take these ideas, the basic the basics of, of sacrifice, fasting, prayer, song, and put the idea of cruciformity on it or becoming like, like Christ in the form of cross. And it is truly the oldest Christian tradition that we have is cruciformity. Paul writes about it in Philippians 2. Um, you can go back and read that hymn some other time, but it's the, the tradition of love mercy and justice in yourself and exposing that to the outside world and so all of history practices spiritual spiritual disciplines spiritual practices um the ancient teachers the rabbis the ascetics there's such an overlap that it's it's pretty amazing when you start to study it Awesome. That's all I got for that. So, okay, very good. I, I was just waiting for a little bit more, but that, that's excellent. Well, I'm I'm just thinking about so when you said uh, you woke up in Jakarta, Indonesia, um, to your first experience with um, the morning prayer. So, uh, is in the Islamic religion there is a prayer rhythm. So all through the day you have times that are designated to pray and if you live close to a mosque uh, 
the practice would be to leave your place of work or leave your place like home and you would actually go to the mosque you would actually go to a place to pray that's a that's a practice in close uh, islamic muslim communities and when you experience that for the first time it definitely is uh others other it's it's not of this world it's All definitely things. of it's it's definitely of the spirit right and I'm not I'm not trying to equal religions and and all that, but I I'm just saying that that what it is is of the spirit. People actually leave their places of work to go to the mosque to pray. When you experience the calling to prayer over the loudspeaker, it is a loudspeaker in the middle of town, and the caller, the prayer caller is saying a prayer over the loudspeaker of course in a different language and of course in a very traditional timbre in a song and it is quite beautiful it is mm -hmm. unbelievable it, it is jarring at you know when you there's... stayed up all night and you now are being woken up to it but, but it's definitely I've... jarring i have two experiences like that um one's there and one is the sunrise in Luang Prabang, Lao. And so in for the sunrise, you, you hike up this short little hill mountain and it's a very ceremonial city. So this full of Buddhist temples everywhere. Mm -hmm. And as the sun rises, all the monks are out doing their, their, their sun salutes, their sun chant. And the whole town is filled with the same chant and it just rises up to the top of the mountain. I think that's the second, the second time I've experienced something such uh, impactful as that one. And to, to go back even to the, the thought of the call to prayer at three, but was it six noon and three or something like that? I forget what it is exactly. In um, Islamic faith. Sure. Or is that in, well, Buddhists are in the morning and the evening, yeah, and and then the Islam is five times a day, which those five times a day, coincidentally, are the exact same five times a day that early tra Christian traditions called to prayer as well. Mm. Well, I would say that when you listen to, and you can do it locally too, if you ever go to maybe a um, Buddhist temple or um, somewhere where they practice a Vedic faith um, doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a built temple. It could be just a, a, a room that they use um, that they meet together. And to listen to a group of Buddhist monks or just one or a group of Buddhists practice the prayer, it is very otherworldly. It's not of this world. It is of the spirit and Jake and myself, and I don't know, Sherea, have you ever experienced in your foreign travels? Have you ever, when you've gone international, really. have you ever experienced? Okay. Um, we've all traveled internationally to many, many places. Um, and really, every place has a spiritual practice, whether it be a Euro-type country or, or whether it be a 
um, Central South American or whether it be, uh, you know, an African or a, uh, or India or Southeast Asia or Asia in general, every area that I've ever traveled definitely has a spiritual uh, practice. And so, so when you travel, I, I really want to encourage you to um, go to these different places just to experience what we're talking about because it is definitely a perspective uh, changer. But let's talk about Christian theology for a minute. There's different theologies like biblical theology or uh, systematic theology or practical theology. There's different areas of theology and one area of theology that's often missed is spiritual theology. Uh, we don't like to talk about spiritual theology because it seems like it's too mystical. It's too out there. It's too, oh, I, I can't find a biblical verse to tell me to do this or that. And so um, it's, it's definitely, though, founded in Scripture and the person of Christ. So when you think about when you think about the person of Christ and what Christ did, going to the lonely places to pray, that's a spiritual practice. Um, or even reading the book of Isaiah 12 in the temple, that would be a spiritual practice. So Jesus participated in spiritual practices, um, even eating together with the disciples or, or calling people to a meal or calling himself to another person's house. Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house for a meal. That's a spiritual practice. So there's different spiritual practices um, that we can identify that Jesus actually uh, was doing. Um, but in Christian spirituality, in spiritual theology, we struggle talking about it because it seems a little voodoo. It seems just kind of like above the scriptures a little bit. And what are you going to tell we, me we, that, that God's board esque? Yeah, it's a God is yeah Ouija board esque. You know, you, God is going to illuminate the scriptures off the page, or or you're going to like, you know, and and I actually disagree completely with Richard Foster, because I have sat in this. I've <laughs> been in the same places like Luang Prabang, Laos, and Southeast Asia, and Thailand, and those are where my daughters are are from. And and so like I've I participated in many, many temple practices. And so you talk about filling your mind. You can just lay there and have monks chant at you and fill your mind. There's nothing emptying your mind at all in those in those right. arenas. Um and it fills it fills your spirit. It fills your uh it fills your inquisitiveness, your interest. It fills a lot. Uh, so I actually disagree with that, but I think that we're just afraid to talk about it. Why? Because it cultivates responsiveness that is not necessarily something I read off the page. It cultivates responsiveness to just seek God in general. And so if I'm seeking God in general because I prayed, or I seek God in general because I've fellowshiped and I've listened to a word of knowledge from God that I didn't read off a page. That, okay, how do we test the spirit? Is there a testing of the spirit with that? And we get super sketchy about that. So I think that all ministry in general is a response to the spirit. And all fellowship and all connection 
and all seeking after God is a response to the Spirit. So if you think about what did the early Christians do, they didn't have manuscripts in front of them. They didn't have anything in front of them besides just themselves and their family and friends around them. And they met in homes, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, as Acts 2.42 says, 2.41. So, so what did they have? Did they have the apostles' teaching in front of them? Many of them didn't. But they devoted themselves maybe to the practice of the apostles' teaching, maybe the heart of the apostles' teaching, maybe what they heard in the past of the apostles' teaching, and they went with it. They just went with it. And a lot of Christianity early on was just, you know, I remember Jesus in this way, or somebody told me about Jesus, so let's go with that. And let's follow that spirit. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're not hurting somebody else and loving somebody in the greatest command. Yeah. So I believe that spiritual practice engages our full mind, our full body, and our full soul in the responsiveness. It causes us to be responsive with our body, mind, and soul in seeking after God. But it's never, spiritual practice is never a personal quest. It's always for the community. And so whether it be what we would call back in the day an anchorite or a stylite. They would be camped out in a church, staring at the cross, writing things down, praying at the cross. It was always for the community. It was never for the self. It was always for the whole of the group. And so a person never engaged in spiritual practice for just their self-realization. And I think that that's a difference between the spiritual practice of old age and the spiritual practice of today, that we engage in spiritual practice because we want to become at one with self. We want to cleanse our own spirits. We want to be pure ourselves, or we want to be more spiritual ourselves. But back in the day, there was a very communal aspect, even though it might've taken place alone, those words of knowledge were brought back to the community. Those prayerful moments were brought back to the community. Jesus went to lonely places to pray to figure out the community. So, so it was not this, you know, Jesus going to, you know, his sandbox to play because he got tired of people. He wanted to go back to the community and help. So spiritual theology actually is the theology and marries to community, the theology of community, very, very closely. Um, and and some people just find that a little too like mystical to talk about or too spiritual. And so the person of the spirit all through theology has gotten lost. And so that poor spirit out there is just, you know, always an afterthought. And in modern Christianity, we baptize people this way in the name of the Father, the Son. We dunk somebody under the water. We lift them out of the water and in the Holy Spirit. And we hand them a Bible and say, stick close to this. And we force people into sticking within the margins of the pages. And can God speak outside of the Bible? Oh, I sure hope so. Because we have rivers and falls and sky and beauty and atmosphere and planets all around us that really are not listed in the Bible, maybe generally. But, but there's a lot not listed in the Bible that I think that God still speaks in many, many manners. So theology, though in general, is an expression of our reflection 
of the divine. So if we're not reflecting on the divine, we're not going to have an expression of the divine. Therefore, we don't have a theology. So theology is the expression of the reflection of God. So if you are reflecting on God with God and you are reflecting God, you're spending time with God in some way. And so theology is birthed out of that. There is no disassociated or disinterested observation. Like I'm just observing theology, words on a page. I would say that that's toxic theology. If there's not a personal engagement with God, it's really not. It's just words on a page. It's just, it's just not really the study of God. So spirituality or spiritual theology is concerned with the divine and how that, uh, how that is birthed out of practical practice or practical theology. So you can have thoughts about God, but if we're not engaging with God, it's not spiritual. So spiritual theology, uh, without, a theology without the spirit is just activism. That's all that is. It's just human activism. So I'm going to go out and feed the poor. I'm going to go out and clothe the naked and house the houseless. But without a spirit, without the motivation of spirit, it definitely reduces that down to human activism. Although I don't want to say something too far. I do believe that those are spiritual acts, even if we don't know it or not, that miracles are happening around you, whether you want to acknowledge that they are or not. And so spiritual theology births out of three components. Number one, it births out of your understanding of yourself. Number two, it births out of understanding of the spirit. And number three, it births out of understanding of the community in which you live. So self, the spirit and theology. Well, where's the Bible in all of this? Well, that's the spirit, your understanding of the Bible, your implementation of the Bible, your reflection on God, maybe with scripture or without, that is the spirit. So three components, the self, the spirit, and the community. So solid, I think, Christian spiritual theology is characterized by recognizing the world's complex and the gospel can find authentic expression within that complex world. And it's not about becoming some fortress and other, we are not of this world, so we're going to hide in a cave. That is not the Christian expression. That Christian spiritual theology recognizes the world's complex and the gospel can find authentic expression in no matter how complex you think this world is. And then it's also faithful to the Christian story. And the Christian story starts, the Christian story starts, and we know all of history, but the Christian story that we say is the Christian Christian story does not start with Pauline's writings, does not start with Revelation, does not start with all of the letters to the churches. It doesn't even start with the church. It starts with the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's the resurrection. And so 
Christian spiritual theology is grounded in the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. And then it also embraces this fact that God can express God's divine self into the world in completely unexpected ways, in completely unexpected ways. And we as Christians, um, I believe, can spend more time looking for those, looking for those. So in practice, spiritual practice for a very long time to express and understand self, understand the spirit and understand community, there's been some stages that were developed. These stages are actually pre-Christian. These are not Christian ideas. These are probably Neanderthal ideas, as Jake mentioned. And these pre-Christian ideas, um, the three stages of a spiritual life are this. The purgative, where we probably get purgatory from, or the purging of. So the pur purgative, the illimitive, and the unitive. The purgative, illimitive, and the unitive. The Christians took that, like Origen and Thomas Aquinas, they turned those words into beginner, proficient, and perfect. And that's where we get perfectionism from. That's where we get biblical proficiency, biblical literacy. It became knowledge and practice of purity from that point forward. But pur purgative, illuminative, and unitive are much different. Augustine uh, wanted to ground those concepts of origin into love, although I would question uh, how he loved. But I would say that, that perfectionism, Augustine thought, well, okay, that consists of love in some way. So he changed it to growing, full-grown, oh, excuse me, excuse me, um, incipient, growing, and full-grown, which is a different way of saying perfect. So his idea of full-grown, there's other people that say, okay, we have to love God and we have to use the greatest command. So we're going to love God, love others, and love ourselves. And then the final rendition of the three stages uh, was Bernard, a person by the name of Bernard. Love of God means... Means the first is to love man, the the love that a human has for God because of God's because of the gifts that they've received. God, thank you for the things that you've given, and then this person begins to love God for their own sake. Like I love God because I want to, and then uh, the love of God is then goes to others that are disinterested in God. So an expression of love to others that are disinterested. Well, that's a nice way of saying the greatest command. So let's go back to the purgative, the illuminative, unitive very quickly. And then we'll get to Shirea's practical. This is the theology. This is the dry stuff that Kevin gets to talk about, right? So the, but there's some people out there that really like this. So I want to kind of unpack it. Um, the purgative is actually the Buddhist concept of the Dharma. That's the, the practice of, of, uh, of thinking about practicing the positive emotion, 
not focusing on the negative emotion, but practicing the positive emotion, like purifying your heart to, in order to see God. There's songs about that in the Psalms. Um, looking at heaven and bringing heaven into your own world, learning to have faith maybe on earth. And so a purgative practice would be a supplicate prayer. God, help me with this. Take this away from me. Redeem me from this toxic behavior. Get rid of this from me. So we have a prayer of meditation, of supplicate um, a mentality. And then the mortification, I guess, of removing things from your from yourself. And so we get rid of toxic behaviors. This is what the ascetics spent a lot of time covering themselves in dirt and sitting in corners and up on rooftops and styles and such to become stylites. And so they believe the purity of the soul uh, happened through removing destructive emotions. It's purgative. But then the work of the illuminative means to put on Christ. So honestly, you can spend time in spiritual practice. God, help me take these things away from me. I can't deal with life anymore. You know, that kind of prayer, which we've all had. But then the practice of putting on Christ means having, or like the, our Jewish author said, you are what you practice. And so when we practice spiritual mind and practice spiritual heart, then we enter into the illuminative the illuminative. Now, mind you, these are stages that I honestly don't believe in, but we'll get that to that from my conclusion. So then you have the illuminative, right? And then you have the unitive. And this is where we uh, practice the gifts of the spirit. And so Shreya is going to talk about the gift of hospitality, right? And so that's a practice of unitive, where you're actually practicing a spiritual practice that brings community together, to, together. Now, I believe in a spiritual practice. Now you can say purgative, what is it? Purgative, uh, illuminative, and unitive. You can break up your spiritual life into 10 different stages if you want. I just believe in a simple idea of liminality. When you practice something, it changes you and it changes others around you, as simple as that. When you practice something in your life, whether it be hospitality or whether it be meditation by yourself, it changes you, it's transformative, it is liminal in your life. It's something that you do physically that changes your heart, mind, and soul, but it also then changes the world around you. Now that might sound a little mystical, the first, though, purgative, illuminative, unitive is very what they call ascetic. But I'm more a Christian mystic. And I would believe and I would practice and I do practice spiritual uh, theology and spiritual practice for transformative community and self through liminal experiences. So I believe in one stage of spiritual life. That when I practice liminality, it changes me and the others around me. And that's that's something that I have found important. Because I can spend my whole life trying to go from one stage to the next. If only I could get rid of this behavior pattern in my life, I can move to the next stage. That's not the way life works at all. 
And so the practice of liminality, all spiritual practices fall under that umbrella. Shreya, take it away. Give us some very practical, we went about 15 minutes or more of spiritual. Somebody asked me what liminality was. Can I answer that really quick, Shreya? Okay. Liminality is a physical activity that comes actually from tribal um, research, sociological research, where tribes in different parts of the world, uh, they actually participate in liminal activity. So for example, in certain tribes, the young men of that tribe, the old men, take the young men out into the wilderness and they remove them from the mom, excuse me, the camp is divided into two sides. You have the female side of the camp and the male side of the camp. And the, ma the older males take the young men or the boys that they reach a certain age and they take the young boys out into the wilderness and they teach them all kinds of practices. And sometimes they will, they'll circumcise them. They'll teach them to fight and to hunt and to do different things out in the wilderness that in their region, that's what they do. They teach them all those tools, give them all the tools. And then when they come back to the camp, they've experienced this time. They come back to the camp and they move into the man side of the camp. So they move from boys to men. Well, in um, Latino or La Latinx uh, populations, they have something called a quinceanera. And a quinceanera is the movement from young girl to woman or young woman. And so they have a party. She, you know, this is very ceremonial. Um, in that tradition, it's many times Catholic. And so a priest is present doing the quinceanera ceremony. And that's a movement from a, a girl to a woman. And that is a liminal experience. So in many cultures, there are liminal experiences that have age parameters around them. Yet we all can have liminal experiences, physical activities that are transformative. They're helping us grow through life. They can be very small or they can be events in your life. Becoming me, becoming a dad, it was a liminal experience. Getting married was a liminal experience. Graduating college was a liminal experience. Physical activities that are transformative. Um, to go back to your stages of spirituality, Anne Lamott just, I think, put a new, uh, a new book out. I can't remember how long it was. A couple of years now, and it was the stages of spirituality and help, thanks, and wow. And those are the, yeah, those are the three, the three stages of of her idea of Christian spirituality prayer. Mm -hmm. It's a great book. A great book. Yeah. Sure. I take as long as okay. you want with um, application. Okay. I would, this is the practical stuff that we actually really need to hear. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm going to start by reading a list of spiritual disciplines. Um, this is just one list. There are lots of different ways of counting the disciplines, different theologians, different authors will highlight different things. Um, 
so there's more not just included in this list but here we go so some disciplines that are considered um, personal meaning we practice them um, mostly at the individual level are things like meditation prayer fasting study simplicity discernment pilgrimage forgiveness solitude submission and honoring the body there are also um, practices that are considered communal disciplines. Um, so things that we practice together. Um, often we'll do this at church, um, but not necessarily. These are things like keeping the holy seasons. So following the liturgical calendar, uh, confession, testimony, keeping the Sabbath. Um, this one also lists beauty, shaping communities and worship. And then there's another list um, considered to be um, missional disciplines. And so these are the things that we're out in the community practicing. Um, these are things like service, diversity, justice, celebration, and hospitality. So rather than tell you how to practice each of those practices, because there's a lot of them, um, I'm going to give a handful of resources and then just kind of provide an overview how to practice spiritual disciplines. Um, so there are a lot of books on spiritual disciplines, particularly in the Christian tradition. Um, one is Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. I can't show and tell that one because I have it on Kindle, um, but it's a great introduction. Um, another one we've already mentioned is Celebration of Disciplines by Foster. Um, I also can't hold that one up, but maybe Jake can. Yep, there it is. Um, it's a classic. Um, as we mentioned, it is a little bit dated, um, but it does include good descriptions and ideas for practicing. Um, there's another one called The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Um, I don't, there it is. I haven't read that one. Um, so it's Jake, better. yes it's or better no? Than Foster, it's better? As we, as we've it's said. better than Foster. <laughs> All right. Um, if you are the type A high achiever type personality, there is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Douglas Whitney. This dude is intense. Mm -hmm. If you are burnt <laughs> out and tired, Sacred Rhythms by mm. Ruth Haley Barton. She um, emphasizes desire and depth and rest. These two by Kelly Odell Stanley. So we've got Praying Upside Down and designed to pray these are fun um she's a visual artist um so they're creative and she takes uh, different art foundations things like um, perspective or composition and blank space and uses them as metaphors for prayer and offers different prayer practices within that and then the last one hmm. sacred pathways by gary thomas i think this one is my favorite nice um and gary one. thomas offers um, nine different pathways for connecting with God. So there's the naturalist who meets God outdoors. Um, there's the sensate who meets God through the senses. Uh, the traditionalist who meets God through ritual and symbol um, and on and on from there. So that's my my blitz of resources. Um, I do have several of these. So if you're at Resonate or in the area, I'd be happy to loan them out to you. Um, but some ways to practice spiritual disciplines. Um, 
I would start by finding a list of spiritual practices like the one I read at the beginning um, and see if there's a handful that you would like to try. Maybe find a mix of occasional practices like things that you might only do maybe once a month, like going out to be with God in nature, as well as some things that you might do more regularly or daily, um, like maybe reading your Bible or having prayer time. I'd also recommend choosing at least two that you're pretty sure you're going to enjoy. And then one or two that will stretch you without making you feel unsafe. And then schedule it, make a plan, um, whether that looks like um, setting an alarm or a reminder, putting it in your calendar, um, but also for the practices that you're going to practice over a period of time, um, figure out not necessarily an end point, but at least a pause point where you're going to take some time to reflect. And that's the next step. Reflect on your experience. Um, so if you're a journaler, um, take some time to journal. Um, a couple questions that I've used in classes when I've done spiritual disciplines. Um, if it's a practice that you enjoyed, how can you incorporate that into your regular spiritual life? If it was a stretch for you, what did you learn about yourself or about God? Did you see growth in your discomfort? And does this practice give you an occasional place to lean into that growth? And if you freaking hated it, what do you do? <laughs> That's totally <laughs> fine. No, I've had that happen. Um, one of the ones yes. I did in class was a, a practice of silence. Um, so taking a time when you normally have distractions going. And a lot of the kids opted to um, not play music in their car on the drive to school. And, you know, you definitely had the kids who were like, oh, it was so wonderful. I was in touch with my feelings. I'm going to do that once a week. And then you had the kids who were like, I was really uncomfortable, but I worked through some stuff and it's going to be fine. And then I had another kid who was like, I got really existential. This is not a safe practice for me. I'm never going to do it again. But that's just fine. You, you so let me, let me, let, let me pause you there for a second. Cause I think yeah. that there's something to what you just said that I don't want. And I want you as a, as a spiritual practitioner mm -hmm. um, to speak into it. So sure. what I've heard feedback on, whether it be spiritual practices exercised in church or ones that we promote during seasons of Lent or during Christmas time or, or whatever it is, the seasons, um, or just a general spiritual practice of prayer, reflection, discussion, think on this picture, visualization, um, meditation that you do in a group that I've watched you do. Some mm -hmm. people have given feedback that that creates anxiety. Mm -hmm. So in that space of anxiety, just doing the practice. So number one, where does that anxiety, what cause, what do you think your best theory of what causes that anxiety and where's that's coming from? And then if that does create anxiety in me, like being alone, sitting in a meditative yoga pose okay. out on a rock, you know, singing songs is really not what I want to do. And that creates anxiety. What do I do with that? Yeah. Um, I, I have two thoughts there. Um, one is that, is it 
is it an uncomfortableness that we can work through to find growth or is it like a legit triggering experience that isn't safe for you um and i think it's really important to be able to discern the difference like it's okay to experience discomfort you're gonna be fine okay on the other hand um something that is a little bit more difficult to kind of manage in a church setting is that sometimes um spiritual disciplines are vulnerable and they can bring up vulnerable feelings. Um, and especially if you're not close to everyone in the room, um, not everybody gets to have your vulnerable feelings. And so it's not, it doesn't always feel safe to practice in a group setting. Having it in that home setting might be a safer option. So is there something that you can give me in that meditative, like, your list of spiritual practices that you gave. Mm -hmm. um, is there something that I can just incorporate if I do struggle with anxiety or if I don't want to, you know, sit there with a copper bowl on my head and bang it, you know, for prayer? <laughs> what, I'm kind of making fun because I've actually heard of people doing such of things, such things. Um, there's the idea of when Jesus said, go into the world to the ends of the earth and make disciples. The, mm -hmm. the word there is as you are going, make disciples. Mm -hmm. So as you're going. So is there an as you're going type of practice that I can do that I can implement? Um, I think uh, breath prayers are a really great way to do that. Okay. Um, yeah. So a breath prayer is, um, it's a short phrase usually what like 10 to 12 syllables i think meant to be um about the length of a breath so with your inhale you're breathing in a name for god um, whatever name you want to use or is most meaningful for you as you're breathing out it's a request to god um, so the the famous one is the jesus prayer right lord jesus christ have mercy on me um, mm. and you would pray that is that a breath prayer with each inhale yeah with each inhale with each exhale um and so it's a prayer it's connecting to god it's grounding um slowing your breathing so mm. all things that help you work through anxiety i think in recovery circles that's almost i know it's the serenity serenity prayer is a memorized prayer Mm -hmm. But it almost is like a, like an as you're going a longer, a longer prayer. breath pair. I think that's, that's right. also where the rose, the rosary comes from. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Desmond Tutu has the um, forgiveness stone that you place yeah. in your pocket. Oh, yeah. you rub. Mm -hmm. um, just things that that you can carry along with you to remind you. I think yeah. it's the as you're going type things. Okay. All right. I just had that, those thoughts, you know, because maybe just talking about this created anxiety in me and I just need to mm. express that. I don't know, but go I'm ahead. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just have a couple more thoughts, uh, just some things to keep in mind um, as we do spiritual practices. Um, 
our spiritual practices can change in different seasons of our lives. Um, and it's okay mm. for those things to change. I think for a lot of us who grew up in church, um, the expectation was you have your morning quiet time, right? And it has to include at least prayer and reading your Bible and probably other things too. Um, there are seasons for that and there are seasons for not that and it's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And along I'm with that, very, like I'm, I'm in a very not that type scenario right now. Me too. <laughs> um, but like we can have grace with ourselves to not have to live up to those things. We can have grace for others to not expect others to live up to those things. Um, and we also don't have to do it all. So if that list of spiritual practices was big and overwhelming, pick two things. Don't try to do the whole thing. Pick a couple of things. Um, mm. And then last, I think just having a spirit of play about it. Like it's not, it's not pass fail. You know, you, you can't do it wrong. Um, have fun, try things, get to know yourself, get to know Jesus. couple of things that I wrote down uh, that have been really good for me is part of my sleep hygiene when I go to bed I put my phone down to disconnect from distracting behaviors and light mm -hmm. and such I just don't want to look at my phone right before I go to bed uh, number one, so that nothing creates anxiety in me right before I go to bed. <laughs> so, right. Like if I, if somebody texts me, I just am like, oh, whatever. Um, and then uh, number two is I read something spiritual. So it's a practice of just reading something, maybe just an essay or Stacy Cannon gave me this new book that I'm going to start reading at night because it's just spiritual poems and such. So yeah. just read a poem. And that's how I've been like falling asleep at night. And it's actually added to my uh, sleep hygiene. Um, mm -hmm. But also uh, when Jake and I have been doing some training for a race on our bikes, mm -hmm. uh, as we're on a trainer for an hour or an hour and a half or two, whatever the the exercise is, um, I think that listening to books and mm -hmm. just some growth books, whatever those may be, instead of just wasting time watching a program on TV or a, an episode of something, which, you know, you might need that too every once in a while, but listening to a book has been helpful. Mm -hmm. So something just for you, like a question, do you think that our spiritual, um, uh, attentiveness or attuneness or our desire for spiritual practice changes with age. Like you said, the seasons of life, I can mm -hmm. see if I'm going through a crisis, I might like just disconnect from anything spiritual. That's natural. Mm -hmm. And what if you, what yeah. if you don't know what season you're in? Right. I see that question yeah. in the comments. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I don't know that there's any difference between your practices changing with age and your practices changing with life seasons. Um, so yes. Yeah. Like we go through changes in life and so our spiritual life is going to change too. Mm -hmm. 
does that answer what you're asking or is there a question in there that I'm not quite getting to? Well, I think that there's a, there's a study out now with COVID and mm, okay. who's actually returning to church and who's not returning mm. to church and the baby boomers and older, uh, the statistic is they have left the church period. Cause they're and in droves. I, no, no, well, maybe wondering. some of them. Yeah. So some of them is the death count. Um, but, uh, the ones that left that are surviving, um, mm -hmm. they have left and the millennials, it's not the X and Z or the Xers or me. We left the church too, but we left a long time ago. Um, it's the millennials that are coming, are back, coming back in statistically in droves, huh. either online or um, in person, but many online. So they're connecting into the church online and, and in person. Um, I'm just wondering, like the older we get, sometimes the more spiritually prideful I've seen the condition. So when you reach, reach a certain age, like I'm 50 years old, I've been in a church, you know, for a very long couple, almost three decades. Right. And so I, I think I got it all figured out and awesome. I don't need it yeah. anymore. I think, I think maybe that's what happened when we don't let our spiritual practices change over Thank the you. course of our life. That's, mm -hmm. that's where we get rigid. That's where we get prideful like to bring in an idea from from buddhism if you're trying new spiritual practices you're maintaining that beginner's mind where you're still curious still humble still open to trying new things i think that is one of the hardships with scripture reading scripture mm -hmm. being one of the main disciplines is how you read it is mostly about how you view yourself mm. Mm. Yeah. There was a trend a while back, and I have to look up the stat that a lot of millennial generations and below, but especially focused at the time frame, the era that I was reading this study, was it was all about, you know, the millennial attendance in religion. And mm -hmm. many millennials went towards Eastern Orthodox practice. So they were entering into an Eastern Orthodox faith. They became a growing uh, religious branch because of the spiritual practice that they focus on. Mm -hmm. So the yeah, Eastern Orthodox branch of Christianity definitely focuses on more of a spiritual practice mentality than the Western Orthodox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to go back to what Jake was saying about um, reading the Bible being a practice and, and, how if we're not changing the way we read the bible doesn't change and then it becomes really lifeless um i think it's okay to not read your bible sometimes um and i also think that um mm. it's most helpful when we're still learning about god when we're still learning about the bible and getting new perspectives on it um yeah. because it it breaks that muscle memory so as you're reading it you're not reading the same things over and over but you're actually finding new things there that you didn't see before yeah 
Well, I, I think so, that our relationship with God, if I could just layer that a little bit with this thought, is our relationship with God is a relationship. And mm -hmm. so any relationship, I don't want to talk 24-7 to the relationships that I have. I want to take a break from talking. <laughs> and I want to take a yeah. break from listening. You know, like I don't yeah. want to always listen. Could you imagine like like all day long you listen to your friend just, you know, just talking to you all day long or your spouse talking to you all day long. I just couldn't imagine like that all day. And so, so we have a relationship and we have ebb and flow and maybe we need to be, take a break from listening and speaking. <laughs> yeah. Just a, just a thought. <laughs> where, do, where, would one, where would one start? Yeah, come back to that to that question. What spiritual practices? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different ways to pray. Like prayer is so versatile. Um, I think that's where I come back to um, is maybe finding new prayer practices. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's great. I think when I, would, I started spiritual, oh, go ahead, Jake. I'm sorry. When I I feel like a really awesome place to start is um, the prayer of examen or mm. examine, mm. but it's it's examen. But you can say examine if you want. Um, look at look at that. Like just Google it, search for it. The prayer of examen. And it's more about a self-opening. It's more mm -hmm. about mindfulness. It's not so trying to figure out what to say. I think prayer is scary for a lot of people because it's this, mm -hmm. it's this I need to figure out what to say. But right. I think that's exactly right. the opposite of what Ooh. prayer actually is. Um, yeah. Along with that, I'm a big fan of of prayer books, um, like Book of Common Prayer, um, Shane Claiborne's Common Prayer, the Celtic Daily Prayer. Um, yeah, that I having to come up with the words is really difficult for me. I don't enjoy that. Um, but having words that people have been praying for centuries um, mm -hmm. makes yeah. me feel grounded and connected and part of a community. That's great. Well, there he is. Okay, welcome back. I was just gonna, I was just gonna add my my screen froze, so I needed to restart a little bit. Um, I was just gonna add when I, when I uh, first implemented spiritual practices, I did something that was termed to me three minutes with God, and it was really hard. It was <laughs> really really hard, and so I prayed for one minute read the bible for one minute and prayed for one minute now if you've ever tried to pray intentionally for one minute and time yourself that's really hard because number one you're looking at your timer going is it up yet is it up yet and then you read the bible for one minute and if you time yourself for one minute you're looking at your clock going, is it over? Is it over? Is it over? So it's really hard. It's really hard. 
So I did a practice of a short prayer, a short reading, a short <clears throat> prayer. And whatever you're reading, it actually doesn't have to be the Bible. I would encourage you to do that. But it could be a writing about the Bible or about Christian spirituality. It could be something deeper and heady on theology. But to spend time in that rhythm of prayer, read prayer, that was really helpful for me that I just did that for a while. And I was a new believer. I was a new Christian at the time. I didn't know anything about anything. And I didn't know it was called a spiritual practice at all. But just to find in the question it was asked, where do I start? And we have some background questions that are being asked right now. And the question was, where do I start? Start where you feel comfortable, I think. And start where you think you can. Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot about some heady things and some practical things. Um, maybe it's as simple as saying grace before meal. That that's a spiritual practice. And, and maybe that's all you got to give or all you have to do um, in your energy level and what you know. But do that and. So do something and then build upon that something and learn something new. So grab one of the resources that Sheree gave, grab some of the, the uh, websites that those point to, because if you just look at Christian spiritual practices, it'll come up with Douglas Willard um, or Richard Dallas Foster. Willard. What? Dallas Willard. Oh, I'm sorry, Dallas Willard. Sorry, Dallas Willard. Um, it'll come up with some spiritual practice ideas. Some of them are super dry and very traditional and kind of goofy. Um, but there are some really good, rich ones out there too that you can implement. Well, thanks uh, a lot, both of you, for your intelligence and your participation tonight. Sheree and Jake, um, two of my leaders from Resonate, always have good thoughts. So with that, the body constructing a new you through spiritual practice and meditation. We hope that you put some of these practices into your life, implement them and start to practice because we are what we practice. And we hope that you uh, become a growing spiritual person that the inside can become pure, the outside learning to love others by loving yourself. And so I pray that this is also a communal experience for you. All right. With that, good night, everybody. And thanks for participating and listening. And if you want to check us out on ResonateLife.org, you can. Um, or you, And all through the week, you can ask us questions um, on Facebook or just whatever social media site that you uh, participate in. So good night and have a wonderful night. Thank you.